That's twice we've clapped today in this service. We clapped four times at the 930 service with the baptism. I told them uh, I was concerned that people were going to mistake us for Pentecostal around here. Good things to clap about. Let's bow together and pray. We pray for grace to hear your spirit as it stirs within our souls and as we are called to this work of love. Thank you for this time, for this occasion when we, your people, can reflect and make new commitments of who we are and what we're about. To your glory now we listen for your spirit amidst the talking. Amen. And any leftover children can be dismissed as well. (laughs) Was that an accident or on purpose? When your elbow tries to occupy the very same space that my nose is occupying and does it with some force, I want to know pretty quickly, establish whether that happened by accident or on purpose. In basketball these days, they now go, the referees go to the monitor when someone gets elbowed in the nose to see whether they think it was a basketball move and the sharing of the same space happened by accident or whether, on the other hand, it happened on purpose. So how are you living your life? By accident or on purpose? I can't speak to Simon and Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John, whether they were living accidentally or on purpose, but I can speak to uh, John the Baptist and Jesus. John, of course, had made those decisions, those purposeful decisions to be a certain messenger, called as he was to speak a hard and, and, and difficult word for the people to hear. He dressed differently. He lived in a different way. All on purpose. On purpose, he spoke the truth to power, which was why he was in prison. On purpose. And along comes his cousin Jesus, knowing that John is in prison for speaking truth to power, picks up John's refrain, repent, change, live on purpose. But Jesus does so with a purposeful twist. He presents change as good news. What's good about the good news? When I was a child, my parents brought me to church and I heard a message that I was told was the good news. It was that God was going to send me to hell unless I believed in Jesus and then I could go to heaven. So thank God you're here to believe in Jesus or you're going to hell. And I said, I believe in the good news. (laughs) When I was older, though, I began to think more reflectively about the message and mission of Jesus, the nature of God how this whole thing works. And I I began for a while to think about religion as a form of morality where we make compassionate and loving and justice-oriented choices rather than being so self-centered. And I do think that that is an added piece of the good news. 
But I've come to realize there's more to good news. There's more to what Jesus had in mind. And that is that we are being called to make a choice about how we will let our lives be formed as we walk through the days of our lives. Jesus tells us and shows us that repentance is not some religious scold shaming you for the bad that you've done, acting morally superior to others, but rather it is this invitation to turn and be the whole and healthy people that God created us to be. We can see it in Lucia so easily, can't we? She's just innocent and perfect and beautiful, and that's who we are as well. And when we live outside of who we were created to be, it never fits. It never feels right. It is always incongruous with our souls. Jesus invites us to do our lives, to do our work, and to rest in this underlying goodness that God has placed in us and that God is so that we can become, we can become the good news. The good news isn't just information. The good news is transformation in people's lives. In the book of Deuteronomy, there is a place near the end of Moses' life and ministry where he sets before the people a very clear and urgent choice. He says, I put before you life and death, blessing and curse. That doesn't sound to me like a really hard choice. Which would you rather have, life or death, blessing or curse? I'll choose life and blessing, I think. But what if there's more to it than just making the right decision? What if the call to choose life, what if the call to choose blessing is this decision that we make? That is not some one-time decision, but this subtle fork in the road of our life that happens again and again and again. How will you interact with the world? Will you be for the world life or death? Blessing or curse? I think that's what Paul was talking to the Corinthians about. When he says this present curse-oriented world with all of its anger and fear and competition and all of the woundedness of this world, this world's passing away. So don't spend too much time dwelling on it. He's not saying husbands don't care about your wives, but he's saying reprioritize, refocus, live on purpose so that your life can be a conduit of the blessing of God to all of the world. Remember what God said to Abraham? I will bless you, and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I think that's what this call of Jonah is about that Nina read for us. Announcing this good news to the people that God wants us to change so that we can be congruent with who God is, this power of love. And by the way, I think Jonah is such a beautiful book because it's a great reminder to us that it wasn't God who wanted to, to fry the people. It was Jonah. It's us. 
God is always and eternally love. And so Jesus comes along the shoreline and invites Simon Peter and Andrew and then later James and John and now you and me to live on purpose. To put down for a season the tools of our trade, our computers, our hammers and nails, our nets. To set them aside for a few moments in order to begin this process of what Jesus calls fishing for people. To draw them out of this abyss of meaningless existence and into life, into real life. Being a fisher of people doesn't mean just winning souls for Jesus like you'd collect tickets at the Chuck E. Cheese so you can cash them in for some prize. Being a fisher of people is inviting people to see that God is the big understanding. This universal love, this desire for unity and healing and forgiveness. And if you want to know what this looks like, walking around in flesh and blood, we look at Jesus, who was fully human and fully in contact with God so that he bore the image of God in the world. Follow me, he says. Don't just admire me. Follow me. Be baptized in this transforming love so that you, you, embody healing and forgiveness, reconciliation, loving of enemies, because it flows naturally from who you are. You're not trying to show off. You're not trying to force it. You're being who you are. Let's acknowledge the fact that this takes time. Just as it will take Lucia time to learn to walk and talk, so those of us who are baptized into this way realize that this is a journey. This is a lifelong purposefulness. As one said, it is a long obedience in the same direction. Wednesday night we had a wonderful Bible study. I encourage you to come on Wednesday nights as we open Bibles and, and talk about things of faith. And this past Wednesday, we were talking about the familiar story of Zacchaeus, that many of us, story from Luke, that many of us learned as children. And, and Matthew, the teacher, raised up points that many of us had never heard, never made these connections to uh, places earlier in the text that the story connects to, understandings about tax collectors, all this wonderful information that really brought the story to life in a unique way. But in the study, we had this moment where we just kind of jumped over what to me was the key moment. Where Zacchaeus looks up, or Jesus looks up in the tree, sees Zacchaeus and says, I'm coming to your house for dinner. And as Zacchaeus climbs down, he responds, I'm giving away half of my money to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, I'll pay them back four times over. And I wanted to say, whoa, time time out. Can we just stop here? What happened right there? It's not unlike the passage we read today. Jesus walking along the shoreline. Looks up, sees Simon Peter and Andrew and says, follow me. And Mark uses the word immediately. Immediately, 
They drop their nets and begin to follow. Same with James and John. What is up with that? And then I realize that this story of Simon Peter and Andrew, of James and John, the story of Zacchaeus, these are stories of the gospel condensed. It's the whole event happening in one small movement. It's like when you look at those ads in the newspaper or magazine about how to lose weight really fast. And they show the picture before, and this person's just a big blob. And then they show the after picture, and they look like Johnny Atlas. And you think, well, well, that wasn't hard at all, was it? What they don't show you, what they can't show you in that ad, is that arduous, long, day-in-and-day-out decision to eat certain foods and avoid other foods. To, to, to exercise, to have those seasons of frustration when you haven't eaten a thing all day long and you step on the scales and you weigh three pounds more than you did the day before and you just want to throw the scales out the window. I'm not the only one, am I? What those pictures show in a condensed way and what these stories tell us in a condensed way is the possibility, the potential, and the promise that your life has to do something different, to be someone different, to be one of the fishers of people who change the world. With Martin Luther King Jr. Day uh, recently passed, we've read many quotes from Dr. King, and I'm grateful for opportunities to hear things other than just, I have a dream. King did have a dream, but he had a lot of other things to say. He spoke, for example, about that dangerous giant set of triplets he called racism, militarism, and materialism. I bring this up because I think it connects to what I'm trying to say. What King said was, we don't become racist or militarist or materialist in one moment. And we're not born that way. What happens is we're part of a system. We're part of the systems and powers that over time, in small and subtle ways, with choices we make and steps we take and changes we make, we become racist, militarist, and materialist. What I'm suggesting is that repentance is the same thing in reverse. It's not one moment. It's not some automatic thing. The two men that rose from the baptismal waters suddenly aren't living their lives perfectly. But what they've done is this. They have joined a community that seeks to be a kind of school of love that trains us week after week. It's why we come into this room to think together to pray together, to be shaped and formed and reformed and transformed. Why? Because it really is good news. Not just for you. It's not just a get-out-of-hell-free card. It is the way the world is changed. And in many ways, 
Every Sunday when I look at you, I think, you are the hope of the world. Christ in you is the hope of the world. Being formed in this way changes how we act, how we react, how we think, how we receive information, how we dream, how we hope. And it pulls us out of these old patterns that we all have. Habits and grudges and fears and reactions and crutches and the way we respond to our most deep wounds when they're touched. And it draws us into who we really are and who we were made to be. And when we get there, it feels just right. It fits. It's who you were made to be. It takes time. It takes patience. Week in and week out. Pound after pound, meal after meal, fear after fear, keeping our eye on the prize. Moment by moment, we are formed, we're reformed, we're transformed until one day we look up and we realize, I've become a fisher of people. I've become part of the healing and unifying of the world, and it feels just right. Because it's our calling. I read this week the eulogy given by a rabbi for the, one of the women who was killed in the Charlie Hebdo office in Paris. As part of his eulogy, he told a story from the Talmud, which is kind of this Jewish commentary, volumes of, of, of stories, some of them almost irreverent stories that, that are recorded and remembered as a way to think more broadly about the implications of the Torah. In this story, there's a great debate going on. They don't don't even describe what the debate's about. There's a debate going on, and Rabbi Eliezer says, I'm right, and to prove I'm right, may this tree be yanked out of the ground. And all of a sudden, the tree came out of the ground. The other rabbis he was arguing with looked over and said, that doesn't prove anything. He said, I'm right. And if, I'm, if I am right, may these walls begin to tremble and fall. And sure enough, the walls began to shake. Until one of the rabbis looked over at the wall and said, stay out of this. Be still. And the wall stood still. Rabbi Eliezer, realizing he was uh, not making his point, finally said, if I'm right, May the holy voice confirm my rightness. And from heaven came a voice. Rabbi Rabbi Eliezer is right. There was silence in the room. Until Rabbi Joshua says, This is not your discussion. Don't Don't be involved in this. You have no concern here. You gave us the law and you gave us this responsibility. This is our problem to solve. You stay out of it. That's the way they talked in the Talmud. It feels disrespectful, but they're making a point. And I love the way the story ends with God laughing gently to God's self and saying, my children have beaten me again. The point is not to tell God to stay out of your affairs. 
And the point is certainly not that God does stay out of our affairs. But the point is this. That the care for the world is our business. It's been put in our hands. Jesus is no longer here physically to fish for people. You are. It's in your hands. We used to teach our children, and I think we still do, the little chorus. He's got the whole world in his hands. And we would sing about the wind and the rain and the little bitty baby. It's a great song. It's a song of affirmation that we're not just without an anchor. God has us in God's loving hands. But I wish we could also teach our children another song that went something like this. He put the whole world in our hands. The little bitty baby, you and me brother, you and me sister, even the wind and the rain, it's all in our hands. And sometimes it feels like it's too much. Too much responsibility. And it would be. But Jesus showed us the way. And he made us a promise. I'll be with you always. Even to the end of the world. Let's pray together. May we let go of our nets, whatever those are for us. Those things that we place before you and your way of love. And may we rise up and follow on our way to your glory now and forever. Amen.